0: Welcome back to the RE Exam podcast, the Real Estate Exam podcast. Today we're going to have the second sample audio lesson for the Virginia Real Estate Salesperson Exam audio lessons. The full series of lessons is a total length of 7 hours and 42 minutes. And the reason I'm sharing these lessons with you is to see if you find them valuable. And if you do, perhaps you might go to the website reexampodcast.com and purchase the full series of audio lessons. The lesson today is going to be the business of real estate and it's 23 minutes and 11 seconds in total length. Let's get on to the lesson. Welcome to this lesson entitled the business of real estate in this lesson we will be talking about some of the ins and outs of what a real estate professional actually does the different ways that a real estate professional can specialize and some other things like that the different kinds of property that are out there the different kinds of transactions that you're going to do so let's go ahead and get started. So if you are a real estate professional or a broker of any kind, you do have to be licensed in the state in which you are doing business. It's not just enough to be licensed in any of the United States. You have to be licensed in the state where you're actually doing your business. There are some states that allow reciprocity, meaning they'll let you have a license in one state and use it in another state or be able to get a license very simply and that other state, because you have a license somewhere else, but you have to check that's just not an automatic it's not a given, and you probably still have to fill out some paperwork to make that actually valid so if you think about the business of real estate, it is enormous; it covers so many different things there's so many different sectors of real estate, and so it's a very good idea instead of trying to figure out how to do it all at once, is to specialize in something specific. To find an area of expertise and get really good at that, because there's going to be typically plenty of real estate business to go around. And so you need to find something and stick with it. So what are some options that you have? So what different paths are in front of you if you want to be a real estate broker. So a good place to get started are just the three major categories of real estate. We've got residential, we've got commercial, and we've got industrial. The residential being residences, places for people to live. Commercial being businesses, places for people to sell goods and services. And then finally, we've got industrial. So things needed for industries such as warehouses and factories. So it's a good idea to specialize in one of these three areas. You'll find a lot of real estate brokers just go into residential. They help people buy and sell homes. and There's nothing wrong with that. In most cases, there are always going to be people around who want to buy and sell homes. There's a pretty steady stream of business of people who want to do that. But you have to think about a little bit more than just the physical buildings or even the land. You also have to think about brokering for the kind of rights that people get with the land. These can include water rights, mineral rights, subsurface rights, air rights even. There are all these different kinds of rights that go along with the land itself and with the property itself. So you have to think of yourself as not only negotiating that aspect of it, but also for the land, for the property rights. Now, real estate brokers act as an agent for others in a real estate transaction in exchange for a commission. So what that means is you are representing another party and you have the legal authority to act for that party. And in return, a percentage of the proceeds... Of the sale will go to you that is your commission that is how you get paid as a real estate broker so it's really important that you follow through and you do what you say you're going to do because if you don't actually sell or help the person buy property then you're out of luck you don't get a percentage because there's no percentage to take from so that's a good thing to remember and so if you're the broker you can have other people under you who are real estate salespeople. They are your people who do what you ask them to do and help you to sell and buy more homes. And the commissions are split between the broker and the agent or the salesperson. So that's another thing to keep in mind if you are wondering how it is exactly you get paid and how all of that works. So real estate agents or real estate salespeople, uh, both of those things mean the same thing, and then the real estate brokers are the ones who supervise the real estate agents. But those are not the only kind of real estate career that you could possibly go into. There are many other real estate-related professions. One is an appraiser. An appraiser is just somebody who tries to determine what a fair market value for a piece of property is. They have many different methods in order to do that. But in order to do that, you need to have a good working knowledge of real estate, and you need to be licensed as an appraiser. We have property managers. Those are people who take care of property on behalf of another person. There's usually someone who owns the property, and then the property manager is the person who actually sees to the day-to-day business of the property itself. They don't actually own the property themselves but they run the property, they manage it. You have home inspectors, and those are people who go through property that's going to be bought or sold, and they decide whether everything is up to snuff, whether there's any problems that need to be addressed before the property can change hands. We also have mortgage brokers. Those are people who work to get mortgages so people can purchase homes. There's very few people who can just outright pay cash for their home. You have to get a secure a mortgage. We have architects, people who build buildings. they need to be able to know about real estate. they need because they need to know what exactly people are looking for, and so they can build with that in mind. and then of course, contractors, people who do different work on building homes also need to be able to understand what makes a good home, what goes into building a home, and so on and so forth. So, another way that you can specialize is not only specializing in the broad category of property that you do, but also specializing in the kind of property specifically that you take care of. So, if we're talking about residential property, that can be either single family homes or multifamily dwellings. So, is it a big apartment building with a bunch of apartments? Do you try to help people find places to rent? Or do you try to help families find single-family homes to buy, that sort of thing? Those are things you need to take into consideration when you're deciding what to specialize in. Then we have commercial properties, do you try to find retail space for companies? Do you help people who want to start up restaurants or who want to open a franchise of a restaurant somewhere Do you help companies find office space for their workers? That's a whole different ballgame than helping people find restaurants. Or do you work with hotels? There's all sorts of different commercial properties out there that all need people to help them get their business off the ground. Then for industrial, that basically are just things for industry such as factories and warehouses. That's a pretty straightforward thing. And then we also have what are called mixed-use properties. And these are properties that don't have just one function. They could be commercial and residential, for example. There are, in many big cities, buildings where people live upstairs and have their business downstairs on the street level. So that's a, considered a mixed-use property and that, for small business owners, can often be something that is very desirable. So you could specialize in that, trying to help small business owners find a place where they can both live and work and save them the commute. We also, in addition to these categories, have what are called agricultural properties. And these are places where people can farm or ranch. So it's somewhere you're going to go do work on the land. People who people need specific real estate professionals who can help them navigate the ins and outs of buying farmland or ranch land. That's one other way that you could specialize. We have people who sp- sell special purpose land, and that's for often for government buildings or special buildings such as schools, churches, that sort of thing. And then finally, we have people who specialize in just selling vacant land. There are lots of land. You sell the lot, and then later... Someone can come in and develop that lot, whether they want to build houses or businesses or whatever it is they want to build there. You could just specialize in selling people the land itself and the rights that go along with owning that land. Now, one thing that's really important to remember in the business of real estate is the principle of supply and demand. The supply is how much of some a product, a good, or a service that is available. And the demand is how much of that product or service do people want at a given time. And so these two economic forces ebb and flow. They can change the price of everything from the smallest groceries that you buy at the store all the way up to real estate and large land purchases. Ideally, what you want to strive for is to have a market where the supply exactly meets the demand. There's enough for exactly for everybody to have what they want without going over. That is called an equilibrium point. But that's a very difficult place to get because both the supply and the demand are in a constant state of flux. For example, if you think about the real estate market, the supply of homes is changing all the time. We've got people building new homes. We have old homes that are being torn down. We have people moving from one home to another. You have people who pass away and then their home is given to somebody else, and so on and so forth. So you can see there are so many factors that determine what the supply of real estate is. And then, of course, demand is the same way. There's people who move for work. There's people who inherit property and want to move into it. There's people who get foreclosed upon and can no longer because they can no longer afford their current property, and so on. So, it would be very difficult at all times to maintain this equilibrium point. But the idea is to get as close as possible. Supply and demand, especially in the area the in which you are working, it's a good idea to will determine a lot about whether houses can sell quickly, whether houses are, are bought quickly, and for what price you can buy or sell a home in that area. So that's why it's important for a real estate professional to stay on top of that. So I'd like to talk really quick about some factors in real estate that can influence the supply and demand for real estate itself. A few things that affect the supply. The fear of missing out. So people who are afraid that if they don't act now, they're going to miss a good opportunity. We have location. So you can only build so many homes in a specific area or so many buildings. So depending where you are, if there's a lot of open land where you can expand or there's not a whole lot of open land to expand to can determine how much of a supply there can be. And also the, another factor are the construction costs, how much it actually costs to build new homes, the, the price of wood and of the sheetrock and all of the carpeting and the wires and all the things that go into building a home. If the price of those things go up, then the supply is probably going to go down because it's more expensive to build homes, fewer homes will be built. And then we also have local and state government influence. One of the big things here is the zoning of an area. A zoning ordinance is a law that says what can and cannot be built on a specific plot of land. And so the government typically says this is a residential area, which means you can only, you can only build houses here or it's zoned for high-density residential. You can only build apartment buildings here and so on and so forth. So those are things that can affect the supply. What about the demand? The demand a lot has to do with the demographics of an area. If the population is rather affluent, then the demand for homes or even nicer homes and better properties is going to be higher than if the place is less affluent. If, it's a, if the incomes are low, then people are not going to be able to afford as much of a habitat. The general economy of the area affects the demand, not only the residences, but also the commercial activity in the area. If there are a lot of places for people to shop and to get what they want and for possibly to work, then that is going to help your demand problems. And then interest rates. Interest rates can go up and down. In the United States, interest rates are set by the Fed. Or the Federal Reserve, as it is also known. And that just talks about the price of borrowing money. The higher the interest rate, the more it's going to cost to borrow money. And the reverse is also true. If the interest rate goes down, then borrowing money from someone else is going to be less as well. So that's something that affects the demand. As you understand how these cycles of supply and demand work, you will be much more confident in your role as a real estate agent giving advice to other people. If you know that the supply is low and the demand is high, that's going to drive up the prices. People are going to be able to charge more because they, they have the much-wanted property when the supply is low and the demand is high. And so the more you understand about that, the better. So I want to talk about what's called the cycle of real estate. This is the supply and demand cycle. It's broken up into four different phases. We have recovery, expansion, hyper-supply, and recession. This is generally what happens with supply and demand over time. So let let me describe each of these four phases. First, we have the recovery phase. That is when there is low demand, so not a lot of people want it. And and this is indicated by having fewer vacancies in properties, not having new any new construction happening in the area. So the demand is in kind of an imbalance or pretty close to it with the supply that is available. So that is the recovery phase. Then we have the expansion phase. And this is when things start to pick up again. The demand is rising. It's on the rise. There are more people wanting places. There was more construction going on as more people want to move in. Then we have the hyper-supply phase. And this is where all the new construction and all the people moving in have filled in. And it's you're starting to get actually too much of a supply. So in the expansion, you're, you're making more and more supply to meet the demand. But then you reach the hyper-supply phase where you've actually exceeded the amount of the supply that you need. And then we go back into a recession where the supply is too much. There is an excess of places available. And so we go back into where the, the recovery phase, where there is low demand again. So it's really kind of a cyclical phase where start, the demand starts low. It gets higher and higher until we reach the tipping point where there's too much. And then the demand gets lower and lower again. And the cycle starts all over Alright, let's go ahead and review what we talked about today. I'm going to ask you a few questions, quiz yourself to see if you know the answers, and if so, great, if not, you might need to go back and review some of the things that we spoke about today. My first question is, what is the difference between a real estate broker and a real estate agent, or salesperson, as they can also be called? what it is is the broker is really just a supervisory role where a number of salespeople or agents work under the broker. My next question is, how are real estate professionals paid for their services? How does that work? Real estate professionals are given a commission which is just a percentage of of the transaction that they are helping with once the transaction goes through. My next question is, what are some real estate professions that are in addition to being either a broker or a salesperson? What are some other things you can do with a real estate license? So you can be an appraiser, a property manager, A home inspector, a mortgage broker, an architect, or or even a contractor. All of these things require a knowledge of real estate. And in many cases, licensure in order to do these activities. Such as an appraiser has to have a license in order to do so. My next question is, what are some different kinds of property? There are many different kinds of property. But go ahead and see if you can list a few and give an example of this category or kind of property. So there's residential property, places where people live. Commercial property, where businesses go up. We have industrial property, which is where factories and warehouses are built. We have mixed-use properties, such as the mix of commercial and residential that some small business owners like. We also have agricultural property, which is where you go out and sell land to people who want to develop the land. And then finally, we have vacant property, which is, just like it sounds, it's just the land. There's nothing built on it yet, but you can take something that there's nothing built on and build upon it. My next question is, what is the difference between supply and demand? What is the difference between supply and demand? The supply is just how much of something that you have at any given time. The demand is how much of that something that people actually want on any given day. So the supply and demand are always changing. My next question is, what are some factors that affect the supply when we're talking about the real estate market? See if you can name a few of those. So some things are the fear of missing out, the location of the property in question, the construction costs at any given time, those can go up and down and affect the supply, and then the interference of local and state governments, the different ordinances that are set down or such as zoning ordinances that govern what can be built in a particular place. My next question is, what are some things that affect the demand? There's just a few of those we talked about as well. So a big thing, something to consider, are the demographics of the area. So whether it's a wealthy or a not-so-wealthy neighborhood, where people are from, what kind of jobs they have, that sort of thing. Then also thinking about just the general economy of the area and then their interest rates that are passed down from the Federal Reserve, where people still have to pay a percentage of the cost of a loan in order to have the privilege of getting the loan in the first place it's the cost of borrowing money and then finally what are the four parts of the cycle of real estate when it comes to supply and demand so first we have the recovery phase where the demand is low we have the expansion phase in which the supply is rising because the demand is greater as well. Then we have the hypersupply phase where the supply is too much. Then after the hypersupply section we have what's called the recession where things are cooling back down again. So the starts low, gets high in the middle, and then ends up again back low. That is all for our lesson for today. Thank you very much for listening.